Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is Paul Gilleary. Paul, it's episode four of 10 Month. We are talking about one thing today, mm-hmm. and that is maybe the most important song, at least for a moment, uh, in the band's history, and that is the song Jeremy. Now, before we get into this, um, I have to implore you to get on your platform of choice, rate, review, subscribe to the show, get on our social media channels, follow us there, converse with us, chat. <laughs> this will make sense. Please better. do. I mean, I, I, literally everything you're about to hear, yeah, uh, it began because of this invitation to you to 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 to, con- to create conversation, a yeah. dialogue, a community, and uh, it was from that invitation that we have tonight's guest and I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about where this conversation will go. So um, dialogue is a good word to use and it'll make uh, more sense as we go tonight. Um, let's just quickly set up what this is, right? This is Jeremy. We, we all know this song, 1992, it comes out on the radio uh, in the summer. I, I remember myself, I think I've said it before. I was sitting on a picnic table in the middle of Connecticut. I was a 10 year old boy. It came on the radio. I think it was, Radio 104 or WCCC. I can't remember which the radio station was. And it blew my mind. And I bought the record or I bought the CD um, within probably a week and wore it out. I didn't skip anything. Unlike you, Paul, you skipped some tracks. (laughs) No, I just skipped the end of black, which, uh, you know, a little did I know what awaited me that. I know, right? But But yeah, the song song hit me then at that moment. And then about a month later, uh, it made its air. Uh, on MTV and pretty much changed the trajectory of the band. They blew mm. up um, that summer and they were never the same. No. Uh, nor and, were we, nor were we. Um, this show wouldn't exist probably without the song doing what it did. And it, because it's such an important song, we wanted to focus an episode solely on it. Um, so we won't be going over the, the evolution of it musically with the whole no Jeremy thing and all that. We've done that before, but we will talk about the story itself, the lyrics uh, more in depth than usual on our, on our lyric of the week. And we have somebody, we have a guest today who is going to um, apply a little extra bit of perspective uh, and insight onto what the song means and how it changed him um, for the better and so I uh, would like to welcome him uh, into the show now. His name is Joe Luna. He's from Southern California, as are we, Paul. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this song has has touched many people um, very strongly over the years. It's a very serious song about a very serious topic. We have discussed it um, here and there. But um, because it is so important, we thought, you know, it might be worthwhile to have somebody on um, as a as a beacon, as a as an avatar for who it really might affect more so than just you know the ten year old, twelve year old, fourteen year old kid 
um, who might really like a good baseline and think, wow, that, that would suck to be involved in a situation like that. Well, how about we talk to somebody who really was in a situation like that and has grown for the better. Joe, how are you? I'm, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming aboard here tonight. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I've kind of prefaced it a little bit. Um, I've alluded mm -hmm. to the fact that you, that you were involved in something akin to the story of Jeremy. Um, can you tell us kind of the beginning of your story um, and how the song came to um, came to you and came to influence your life? Well, you know, um, I, I, I kind of felt like, you know, when, when I first heard of the song, it was really talk, talking to me in a lot of different ways. Um, I was kind of that kid that, you know, before uh, me doing some without getting into too much details, I'd hurt some people at, at the local school, right. Where I went to high school and, uh, you know, I'd been picked on and I'd been uh, bullied either by, by older relatives or been bullied by, you know, older people at school or just some of the people that, that I grew up with. I grew up in a, in a pretty rough neighborhood and it was kind of like dog or dog eat dog, right. You had to kind of toughen up or that was it. Um, and so just with a lot of the peer pressure around me, um, long story short, I heard a couple of people in the school um, who I had perceived to be a threat to me as well. And it landed me in juvenile hall and it landed me uh, eventually into the California Youth Authority. And so at 15 years old, I was looking at spending several years of my life uh, in jail, uh, just having my freedom uh, taken from me. And, and fair enough that you know, I, was, I was forfeiting that freedom too. Um, fast forward a little bit. I'd never really been into to grunge. I'd never really been into rock music. Up until that point, it was nothing but gangster rap. If it was an NWA, mm -hmm. I wasn't fucking with it. Um, but you know, you get tired of listening to the same songs over and over. You get tired of listening to the same stuff. You, there's only so many push-ups you can do and so many books you can read over and over. Uh, you know, when you're an eight by ten. And uh, a buddy of mine passes me two cassettes. He's, he gives me Versus and he gives me Ten. And he was telling me, yeah, 10 came out first and then Versus. And so I listened to 10. And I mean, the whole album is sick, for one. Uh, but you specifically asked about Jeremy and, and how I relate to that. And I did. I, I, I got into tears when I heard that song. And I really do believe genuinely that uh, there began my own introspection and starting to figure out what made me tick. Um, in my own road to recovery and, and remorse and, uh, you know, also feeling a sense of, of being fortunate um, that I had the opportunity to think some of those things through, through music and through art, um, as opposed to acting out in greater ways that could have potentially landed me dead. So Joe, I, I'm curious, uh, how, how, does, how does something like Jeremy happen? Like from the inside out, how, I mean, yeah. I think for, for most people, it's, it's a snippet back then that they would read in a newspaper. You know, you fast forward to the early 2000s with, with incidents like, like um, Columbine and, and then later totally. on incidents like Sandy Hook and so on and so on. It's, it's something that seems to, to keep repeating itself. And, and, you know, Jason and I have talked a lot on the show about how Pearl Jam's music is very socially conscious, but hmm. I think more than that, though, um, you know, the, what's unique about the opportunity to speak with you is, is to 
broaden the perspective of how something like Jeremy actually happens. Right. Yeah. It's something that very easily can happen. I mean, you got a school of a couple of thousand kids and you have some kids that are forgotten or pushed by the wayside um, and or pushed to the brink of something. Um, you know, anything is possible. And then, of course, you add uh, the fact that a gun can be involved. Right. And which is very easy. Uh, you know, a gun was involved in, in my incident. And how did I have How did a 15 year old have access to a gun? Mm. Uh, well, I knew a dope fiend who knew a guy who had guns. And so he broke into that guy's house and steals that guy's legally purchased guns and starts selling them around the neighborhood for, you know, for enough for, for a good fix for the guy. And so, you know, a hundred bucks later, I, I, here I am walking around with a 22 semi-automatic pistol. That's something that a 15 year old shouldn't have. Right. Why did you and feel you need to have one? That's a really good question. So just, Living that lifestyle, gangbanging, and uh, hadn't been shot at myself, hadn't been jumped and, and beat up by, by other large groups of, of rival gangs. Um, you know, I felt like that was something that I needed at the time. I was genuinely in fear for my own life. And so I took it with me everywhere. It became my security blanket. Um, so you, I mean, you guys can re probably remember what the early 1990s were in, in, in all sure, of the country, yeah. let alone the greater LA area. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the the, the riots. But I, oh, yeah. I'm curious though that there's something about the song that really seems to touch on this abandonment, this alienation, this angst that seems very rooted in the family dynamic. That that you, we, we at, at that age, you know, we really looked to the parental figures for guidance, for structure, for mm -hmm. um, for love and reassurance, and I think that the character, for example, in, in the song, mm -hmm. there, there was that, that sense of, of not being wanted, that sense right. of, uh, of, of feeling like you were completely alone in the world. And so you, you mm -hmm. mentioned the gang affiliations and, and the tie-ins to that. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I feel free to, to, to say you don't want to go down this road. I, sure. I want to respect where your position is at. But yeah. it, did you feel that you had a strong enough backbone at home to, to where you had somewhere to lean or, or is that kind of irrelevant that for some folks, even if you have that, it, it's just almost like a, a vacuum that sucks you in regardless. Sure. No, I, I appreciate the question. And just so you know, I'm, I'm very forthcoming. I'm, I'm all about being candid. There's, there's, I'm an open book. Uh, so please, please feel free to ask away. Um, so I, you know, I come from a broken home. My, my parents split up when I was young. So I, I did have that feeling that uh, you know, just like the song says, mommy didn't care. You know, I had that feeling my mom, my mom was living on the other side of the world in Japan and I was here living with my father, but for the most part, I was a latchkey kid, which was very popular in the late eighties, early nineties. And, you know, it was, it was me to come home to just like all other American kids. It was TV and my GI Joes and my transformers and those toys. But at the same time, I was also growing up with, with, with gangster rap and other stuff that was going on at that time, too, mm -hmm. um, and peer pressure. So I, I, I did have that sense or that feeling that there, there was some issues that I had not dealt with internally, those aban abandonment issues, um, you know, that of all people, uh, the woman that should love me the most was not there when I felt that I needed somebody most. And 
those are things that I've dealt with with my mom. And, you know, since then, and in, in, in retrospect, now I realize that what had happened was the best thing for me. But when you're 13, 12, 13, know, 14, right. 15 years old, you don't give a shit about that. You're only yeah. worried about yourself and, and what's going on with you. Very and that, that's very much years. what's going on with me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that there's a yeah. lot of uh, psychology written about mm -hmm. how, how one of the, the, the challenges of being a teenager is is how rampant the ego is. And when I see ego, I don't oh, mean, yeah. um, you know, uh, being haughty or arrogant. I'm ego is in the, the, the need to want. And, and mm -hmm. because it, it's just running on overdrive, uh, we're constantly wanting and wanting and wanting as teenagers without really knowing what it is we want. And more importantly, without it ever being satiated. And so mm -hmm. it, it's, it's one of those situations where it's, it's, you can't fill that cup at all. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and therein lies the angst, even if you come from a cookie cutter home, uh, that w where you have all that right. foundation, even, even despite that, just developmentally, there's going to be times where there's the, the rebellion and angst and so on. And so to, to come from a situation like yours, it only augments mm -hmm. and compounds itself to the point where it, it, you really feel combustible. Right. I would imagine. 100%. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you hit it on the head, uh, and I, I definitely was feeling all of those things. And uh, you know, the catharsis came to be uh, not Jeremy, but Joey spoke in class that day, right? And and I I, I acted out, uh, which was immediately a regrettable incident and immediately re very regrettable on my part. Uh, the regret was pretty instant. The remorse came a little bit later, um, but uh, as you can imagine, it's 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 not. Uh, a path that I wish that I could redo. It's something that I, I you know, I, I immediately wish that I could have taken back. Uh, so when you say that you, you immediately regretted it, was there, um, is it almost like you just see red in a moment like that? Because to, if for it to immediately feel regret, it's almost like in it, latent in the back of your mind, there was a, mm -hmm. something there. You knew it was wrong. So you, you knew oh, yeah. that it was, and, and there was something saying, don't do this. And then it mm -hmm. happens. And it's like, why did I do this? But yeah. it, it was the, the, the overwhelming sentiment. Just, you just saw red and, and there was no reasoning at that point in time. I guess saw the reason reasoning. I ask is, is, yeah. is, there, is there a way to speak to young people in similar situations in that moment? Is there mm -hmm. something that could have been said or communicated or had you, were you just past the point of, of no return at that juncture? You know, I, I, I genuinely believe there's always hope. Um, you know, and that, that's me being a, you know, a hopeless optimist, I guess. Um, and, but at the same time, I, you know, there was some people that cared in my life uh, that did seek to intervene around that time. And maybe had they been right then and there with me uh, at that time and, and, and armed me with some tools to, you know, count to 10 and just really think things through and how is this really going to play out? Um you know, just different tools like that. Maybe things might have been different. You know, I, I really didn't have that in, in my in my thought process at the time. How how were things going to play out? How is this really going to work? Yeah, itself but see out? what, what you just but what you just said right there. Just saying, yeah. I wish somebody gave me those coping strategies. Right. Uh, I, I think true. sometimes you know I, I'm not trying to take this down the political uh, track true. here, but we we talk about funding for mental health, and sometimes mm -hmm. it, it it's not just hey how do we get funding for people who who are schizophrenic, and it, yeah. well, I'm talking about funding for 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 young people who who don't have those built in coping right. strategies because how can we at 15? 
those things right. have to be taught. They have to be learned, mm-hmm. you know, their skills. And so that, that type of thing, just, you know, funneling money in a way that allows us to, to start meeting those needs of young people, of anybody really, and giving folks the tools, like you mentioned, it's so imperative. And, and, and I would imagine that your experience speaks to that to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would definitely agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. There's definitely not enough help out there with mental health. Uh, I didn't see that at all where I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, that just wasn't an, just wasn't an option. It wasn't uh, something afforded to me. That's for sure. Uh, we didn't you know, was, um, we didn't really focus on that very much uh, at the time, at least. I think we right. really put a spotlight on that in probably the last you know handful of years. Which is sure. Which is it sucks to say that. Um, so being that you didn't have the opportunity to have some sort of help in that arena, you found yourself in this situation where you weren't necessarily Jeremy because you're still with us, but right. But somebody else is akin to it. Yeah. Right. Somebody else is not. You spoke and somebody else is no longer speaking. And unfortunately you found yourself in a situation then after that, of course, as anybody would in, in this, in a, in a cell. Uh, yeah. in the correctional oh, yeah. facility. And you, you mentioned before at the very top here that, you know, you've, you had the regret, you had the remorse, and now you're sitting in this, in this eight by 10 mm-hmm. and you're given cassettes, by the way, shout out to yeah. cassettes, shout out to cassettes. Shout out for sure. hard, hard <laughs> yes. media, physical copies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're given this, first of all, I'm, I'm actually a little surprised. I, I assume because it's, it's a juvenile facility and not yep. necessarily, a, that's why you can have the cassette. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people are yeah, asking. Like, you're talking 30 you years that? ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure people are asking like, how the hell did you even get that in your, in your yeah. possession? But uh, so you have the cassette mm-hmm. and uh, you play it. And I'm just curious, you know, what was your first thought hearing that song for the first time? Or were you able to process that lyrically yeah. or did it, did it, because like, of how, a lot of folks you had to see the video to really make the connections effort. And it's just so direct. That's a great, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you guys asked that question because I was thinking about this, um, you know, but within the last hour before we, we actually started talking and it's funny, you know, 10 was released in 1992 and I didn't really listen to the words until 1994. Uh, I just, I was in juvenile home. So there's one TV in a day room. And if it's not hip hop, it's probably not going to get listened to. Or headbanger music was okay back then too, right? It was it was okay if it was Guns N' Roses or Metallica, Head- but <laughs> Headbangers Ball was great. Yo MTV Raps was great, but everything else really didn't get listened to. The channel would get changed. So I would I knew the riffs, and I was like, oh, that's a cool riff, cool riff. But I never didn't really listen to the words, and I had I wasn't really listening to those radio stations at the time. And 1994, fast forward a couple of years, a buddy of my Fast forward to me, the cassettes at that time, 30 years ago, uh, in the youth authority, we're, we're allowed to have cassettes. Uh, I'm not sure what it's like now. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm listening and I'm listening to the words because right off the bat, you know, I'm listening to the, I'm, I'm trying to remember the first song in 10 is once. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Okay. Yep. And I'm just thinking how hard that song is hidden and even the words there and just in all the words and all the different songs in 10 are speaking to me on some kind of level. And not just Jeremy, but especially Jeremy, because of how I directly related to that. Um, and so I was prosecuted in my own selfish way, of course. Right. I, you know, I, I didn't really think of it as being a song about suicide, uh, but more about a kid who would maybe gone through some stuff and picked on and really had felt a sense of abandonment. 
and he spoke in class in the way that he did. And, you know, there were consequences to that. And of course, like most 15 year olds do, I thought about it completely selfishly and how, how it was affecting me in my life at the time. Which might've been helpful at the time though, because while Jeremy spoke outwardly, I'm sorry, spoke inwardly, you spoke outwardly Mm -hmm. and you, Mm -hmm. you then therefore had you were afforded that's actually a really odd word to use, but you were basically forced into confronting yeah. that, that, that yeah. um, aftermath, as it were, that uh, yeah. the reality, the, um, the epilogue of the moment. And yes. so you're able to then try and process what has happened and how mm-hmm. you could possibly correct yourself. So take me on the path then of, of the fix of the, of the, of the healing of the, of the self-preservation of, of all those things. How did the song then, once you listened to it and got used to it, um, how did that bring you to a different place? Well, you know, you start listening to these, these songs and these words and, and again, you're alone in that cell and it's dark and it's, and it's a holiday. You know, I, it's one of the things that I really remember are holidays being away from family, being away from friends. I recently listened to one of your old podcasts regarding 4th of July. And I can remember 4th of July, just like you guys do, um, and not being able to celebrate that with friends and family. But all I have is that cassette and thinking about what it is that I need to do to change my current situation, my current predicament. And I knew that I needed to get my stuff together. Um, and Again, through my remorse, I, I really wanted to develop a life of service and, and somehow giving back. And my current profession allows me to do that. Uh, you know, so I don't know if I'm answering the question correctly or not, but, but you know, just in listening to the songs over and over and listening to Jeremy over and over and even uh, Alive over and over, uh, it, it was just one of those things where I, I knew that I needed to do more work on myself. What, do you, what was it specifically that you, that you started on? Because once you, once you accept the fact that you, mm-hmm. um, what is it like the seven levels of whatever, but once you accept yeah. the fact that you have, um, seven stages of grief, seven stages one. of grief, that's, right? That's the guy. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Definitely didn't take psychology in college. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so once you've accepted what the situation is, how did you then go to correct yourself? What steps did you take physically and, and actually right. that, that got you to a different place? Did you, did you, did you find uh religion? Did you, did you find a, I mean, you, you do own oh, a good gym, yeah. correct? I do. I do. Did you yeah. go down that path of, of, you know, not immediately. explain, explain you me how you kind of, kind sure. of got out of the, out of the, out of your headspace. Great questions. So um, I learned to keep busy. I, I was fortunate enough that I, that I found some mentors uh, one that were one in particular, a guy that I can remember that helped keep me out of trouble. Um, because one of the things that I learned right away in there, the guys who got in trouble and the guys who became the lifelong career criminals or the guys that were getting involved in the cop in the prison politics or the jailhouse racism and, j- and jailhouse politics and those kind of things. And what I realized is that if I stayed busy, I, w- I can stay away from all that stuff. So, um, I remember it was really difficult to graduate. It would make it so difficult for somebody to graduate with their high school diploma in there, which baffled me completely because there's, there are stats that show the people who graduate are less likely to come back. So I remember finding that out and I got my GED as quick as I possibly could because they did have a pretty good college program there. Oh, good. And uh, 
so I started with the college program. I, there's one thing that I really learned in there was just a lot of critical thinking. Um, shout out to the Ventura Community College and, and the University of Laverne because they had college programs in a couple of the places that, that I was at. And I, I, was, I was very fortunate. I, I was able to knock out three years worth of college while I was in there. And I, you know, I got out, I, I probably spent all of about $2,000 on a four-year degree. Um, really? Just because I, yeah, I just, oh, wow. I was really lucky. I don't know how, how much that program still exists. Um, but, but that was something that I, you know, somebody had mailed me a cutout of a kid who graduated from a place where I was at with a four-year degree. And I just remember that inspiring me that that was possible. That was something that could be done. And I just knew that if I could get as many of these certificates and as many of these different accolades as I possibly could, maybe just maybe that parole board would let me go a little bit early. Um, so that was one of those things that I really worked towards. Did you ever um, have some weaker moments along your path where maybe you kind of went back to the album to kind of psych yourself back into, nope, nope, this is how I felt when I listened to this song and nope, I got to stand the course. Do you ever have moments like that? Oh, oh yeah, 100%. You know what? It's, it's kind of a weird place in being able to make progress that I don't want to necessarily live in the past too much. And I learned that also that I wanted to keep moving forward, keeping moving, moving forward. Um, but what I've learned is that through listening to certain songs uh, and, you know, Jeremy in particular, one of the beauties of, of music is that it does take you back to a feeling that you once felt when you listen to that song. Uh, you know, you close your eyes and you put yourself back in that place. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a friendly reminder of of what could be if you if you decide to choose a darker path or if you decide to go back to doing old things that you used to do. Um, so I, I use it as motivation. You know, now now it's more of a motivation and how can I serve and um, you know I I have the ability now that I I actually train uh, some high school and, and middle school athletes now. And, uh, you know, they don't, they don't know about my history. They don't know about my past. Uh, but I, I guess it's one of those things where I, 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 I give so much that I can, that's good. Uh, so that if ever, if it ever came up, um, it, you know, wouldn't or shouldn't be an issue. You know, I just, I really try to try to pour my heart and soul into what I do. Yeah. You, you, you did a nice job there. Just kind of bringing it back around and trying to, spin this forward and, and really think about what we can do to prevent the experience that you had and endured and went through and, and for lack of a better way of phrasing sure. it brought others along with you, obviously. And, right. and, and, and real, the, the, the real question I think moving forward is how do we prevent incidents like that yeah. in the future? Uh, because That's as a great I mentioned question. before, it's, it's cyclical. So I guess, my question for you, because it's, it's very easy for somebody like myself or Jason mm -hmm. or, or um, talking heads and pundits, even those who are trained in the field, to, yeah. to talk a lot about uh, what we can do, preventative measures, things of that right. nature. But to hear it from, from your perspective, I think would be interesting and unique because a lot of times the folks who are involved in situations like that, um, sometimes they express very little remorse. Uh, or, or they don't, they don't really walk out of the building themselves. And so right. I, I think that that's what makes your case unique. And I think that's why your yeah. perspective holds value for, for us moving forward as we strive right. to try to find solutions to, to address this in a way that 
that really puts uh, mental health and, and civic responsibility at the forefront. Yeah. You know, and I know right off the bat, had I not had a gun uh, that day, things wouldn't have happened. So uh, gun control, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> so that there, there's, there's that reality there. Now we have to look at the other side of that though, too. Are they really going anywhere? I don't know. Um, I mean, there's a hard, strong lobby out there. That's not, you know, this is the, the, the one side of me. I'm, I'm I am, I would love to see guns just magically go away. I just but, don't know. But Joe, that's the happen. counter argument we always hear. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's not the gun. It's the user. If it's not a gun, right. then he would have just driven a car or he would have grabbed sure. a knife. And, but you're sitting here saying, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. I, I, I would not have used a knife. I would not have used, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a fist fight might've happened. Maybe, maybe I would have just ran away, you know, from that situation. Um, but that's an interesting point that, that you might've run away yeah. that, that yeah. the, that the, that the, Option two for somebody with a gun is mm-hmm. to run away to me mm-hmm. and not to go down a, a rabbit right. hole here, but like to yeah. me, that just shows how cowardly people can be, really be when they Absolutely. hide behind a firearm. Like yes. this is the, yes. you're the big guy, but if you don't, if I yep. take this away, you're going to shrink into your turtle shell. You're right. telling me that that would, would have been one of your options. Absolutely. 100%. And, okay. Yeah. Because there were times before that when I didn't have a gun where I ran away. So what the difference in the, the new factor in the equation was that I had a gun. And, uh, and by the way, this is not an indictment or a judgment. Ultimately what, sure. what, what this seems to speak towards is whether it's asking somebody to help you get a gun or saying, mm-hmm. I run, these are cries for help. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. This, this is totally. saying I, I need somebody, I need somewhere to turn, mm-hmm. but obviously if there's ways folks can turn that are nonviolent as a society, yeah. I, I think we, we owe it to all of its members to, to explore those directions. Right. With yeah, yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. It needs to be, it needs, the, the conversation needs to be had, right? I think there's, unfortunately, there's uh, people that just don't want to have the conversation at all. And, and this is what the second amendment says. And, and that is what it is. And, you know, it came from God himself. And that's why we're not going to you know discuss this. And we all know that that's BS. I mean, there, there absolutely can be a conversation to be had about why is it that we really need these things? You know, somebody was asking me if, if I wanted to own a gun the other day and blah, blah, blah. And the more I thought about it, you know, it's, you know, their, 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 their thought was, um, it's better to have and not need than to need and not have. And my thing is, man, I, I think I'd rather go on vacation you yeah. know, for what it would cost <laughs> to, to buy a gun. And, and that's really my genuine thought, you know, is if people went on vacation more and, and maybe use those resources for other things, maybe they wouldn't. We only get two weeks in this country. And if you're yeah. Well, that's a whole time. other issue, right? That's yeah. a whole other thing. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so let's wrap it up this way, Joe, um, sure. that, because I find your story very interesting and I, and I mm-hmm. find the application of the band to your um, second act, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, especially for our show, I love it, but just yeah. for life, yeah. I love it. I love that, you know, I put that out there. On, on our Instagram, how has this story or how has this song mm-hmm. affected you? And the story I got back from you, just completely by random, is mm-hmm. something so profound. And so I would I would then like to ask you as we sure. look into the future and, and mm-hmm. as we as you mentioned before, as you look to the future, you have to understand the past to properly affect that future. And right. we've had these school shootings over and over yeah. and over. And they've only stopped since COVID stopped kids from actually going to school. Right. So don't tell right. me that the solution is more pandemics because I don't want that. <laughs> could the solution be something else? And and what would you say to kids that maybe 
um, feel like you do now? And how can you, mm-hmm. how do you think Pearl Jam in general? Cause there's a song like Rival too, that speaks to this, but how does a song like Jeremy, how could you, you know, would you go up to a kid and be like, Hey, check out, the, I know this is old. This is like your dad music, but like have, have a listen to this. How would, how would you approach those kids? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I remember hearing Marilyn Manson talk about this a long time ago. I think mm-hmm. it was in Bowling for Columbine, right, where he's yep. asked kind of a similar question. And one of the things he said was, I think you should listen, you know, and I really remember that. It's, I think it's give those kids an opportunity to say what it is that they need to say. Just really listen to them. And you'll find out. They'll tell you. They'll tell you what's going on uh, if, you, if you're non-threatening, right, and if you're not there to exploit them, if you're not there to, to hurt them in any way. They'll tell you what they really need and what they really want. And what they ultimately want is to pick up the crayon, not the gun. You know, that, that's really ultimately what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, no one knowingly does evil. I really genuinely believe that, you know, unless they're truly, truly an evil person. But that's, I, I believe those people are pretty few and far between. It's a powerful t-shirt. and uh, Powerful t-shirt. I would say, um, you know, to your experience. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're a classmate or you're a peer or you're a friend, even better, it's it's all the more important to be that listening ear to to not turn mm-hmm. away because in your scenario, one of the people that would have listened to you ordinarily wasn't there to do that, and that was the catch twenty two of how you yeah. found your path. So, yeah, if I would say it's a, it's a two banger, you got gun control, but you got mental health, and it's listening to people, and and hopefully we can avoid situations like this. And Joe, I, I really appreciate you coming on i appreciate you telling your story and i appreciate the fact that you have um used the band as a tool to yeah. uh better yourself and better those around you um so uh again thank you so much for coming on and just thank you man hey it's a pleasure and an honor if there's ever anything i can do to help you and or any of, if you have any of your listeners reach out to you and and you know need uh, somebody to listen to blah 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 if there's anything I can do to help, please reach out to me. We appreciate that. It's a community for a reason. So absolutely. Thanks again to Joe for coming on. Uh, it's not easy to talk about those kinds of things, but when you have a story that applies so directly to a seminal Pearl Jam song, it, it felt like a good opportunity to, to establish um just a bit of extra reality to what the song talks about. And obviously it was written about um, a story, maybe a story and a half that was, that was true. But mm-hmm. for many of us, especially because the song is 30 years old, it's just a story. And to have somebody in our, in our, in our, in our current, you know, reality say, no, no, this, I was also a part of something similar. And here's how I grew from it. I think is pretty powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, we had had a conversation uh, b- b- before moving forward with this. Uh, you know, there was concerns, obviously, about not wanting to be perceived by everybody listening to this uh, as, as trying to, to exploit the situation for, for our own gain. Or, or, or it, it, It's not about clicks, you know what I mean? It, it, more than anything, that this was, as you mentioned, it was, a, it was an examination that revolved around perspective. And, uh, this was an opportunity for us to bring a perspective into this conversation that I don't think it's fair for either one of us or really anybody who hasn't been there to try to try and replicate to to adopt that voice. And so I to to hear that perspective I thought was very informative. 
and uh, it, it's effective at the same time in, in terms of how we look at things like policy and uh, you know mental health, gun control, everything across the board associated with this track. So uh, I'm grateful that that we were able to to have what what felt like a very meaningful conversation that that hopefully ad- advances perspective because because that like I said was modus operandi from the get go. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we, we have spoken about the song before, but let's dive just a tiny bit deeper um, in, in this episode's Lyric of the Week. Uh, you know, Lyric of the Week, usually we pick out a little chunk uh, of lyrics from a song and analyze um, those specifically. But we're going to take the song as a whole here. Um, everybody, everybody uh, listening, of course, knows this story um about a, a boy uh, in texas named jeremy who was picked on who had parents who didn't care who ended up um deciding that the ultimate revenge was to take his own life in front of his class and uh, i know that ed has said uh in the past that there was a kid he went to school with in the san diego area that uh was also a kind of part of this um story so it wasn't totally about the jeremy out of texas um, kind of an amalgamation of the two, but um, the summer of '92, um, and I've mentioned this before, um, and just you know, earlier in the episode, of course, mm-hmm. is that was when this song kind of found its place, and it really found its place on August 4th when the, the, the video was dropped, and right. we could finally get a, a, a film, a video, a representation of what the song meant. So, Paul, you know. We've we've alluded to it many times before. We've spoken about the evolution of the song in different different episodes. And we don't have to talk about how it changed into No Jeremy and yada yada yada. But this song, and I mentioned it to Joe. Um, there's a song called Rival, who yeah, or, or or that you know kind of speaks to this as well. What is it about Jeremy um, and how it's so applicable even 30 years later with all the shootings we've had? In between why is it still so relevant that's a loaded question um i i think it well a it's relevant because it keeps happening uh you know but i think the larger question well, why does it keep happening right i think the short answer is that we are in short supply of empathy mm-hmm. and compassion i think that we are very quick to judge that we live in a society that, that likes to hide behind um, keyboards. We, we, we live in a society that uh, has, has, has found a way to polarize itself in ways to, that are dangerous. I mean, we, we have a tendency to vilify people that just have a different perspective than us. Mm-hmm. People who don't, who don't have the exact same set of values as we do. And it's no longer, oh, well, you know, here, here's the spectrum. It's my way is the only way. And anybody else who thinks different is a threat to national security. <laughs> it's, hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's just, uh, I, I, there's no space. There's no bandwidth for empathy anymore. Um, and I think now more than ever, we need to really focus, especially, you know, I mean, you and I have kids, you know, I, I think now more than ever, there is a, a real need to raise uh, this generation to to see empathy as indispensable, to see it not as a uh, coping mechanism 
or as a way to understand each other, but rather as a way to communicate with each other. Because when you can empathize with someone, you, you, can, you can disarm, you can form connections and bonds, you can uh, communicate ideas, you can offer support. There, there's so much that hinges upon something like empathy. And I feel that for, for us to do a better job of preventing Jeremy from happening again, we need to create a safe space where we give young people, all people for that matter, the strategies that they need so that they can, uh, you know, put in, you know, I, I talk about this all the time uh, in, in, in my profession, you know, strategies plus effort equal ability. And, and sometimes it, it's, you put in a ton of effort, but you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. I mean, you know, I, if I tug on this door right here, or if I push on it, I can push as hard as I want. It's not going to open. But if I just apply, and I'm applying a ton of effort, but the strategy is not effective. If I mm. just turn the handle, I don't have to push very hard at all, and it will open right away. And, and I feel like Joe's story is, is a great reflection of that idea that he, he clearly was putting effort into wanting to protect himself, into wanting to be understood, into wanting to communicate. But the strategies that he was being provided were not effective at all. And he'd be the first to tell you that. And so we just need to do a better job of equipping everyone with empathy and allowing each other to, to, to create a, a platform of a communication that's built on that, as opposed to one that, that, that's built on vilifying and, and marginalizing and polarizing. And uh, that, I, I mean, that, that's, that's, I called it a short answer. I, I guess I went on a, a bit of a long-winded rant there, but you know, well, I mean, uh, you, 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 when you say empathy, for me, that's that's code, and built into that code is the word that Joe mentioned, and that's listening. Yeah, you can't empathize yeah. with somebody if you don't listen to them at the that's first. Exactly place. right, and and we don't do that enough. We, we're too busy shouting at each other, uh, or <laughs> so wrapped up in ourselves that we couldn't hear somebody else if we, if we even wanted to, because we're, it, we're, all we hear is our own voice bouncing. And it really, it, I think it really starts at home. I mean, look at the lyrics here. Dad didn't give attention. Mommy didn't care. You know, it, because no one listened to him. No one, no one at home is his parents. The, the people that should most um, listen to you first before your friends, before anybody else, they're, they're your ride or dies, right? They're their number ones. If yeah. they're not listening to you, how does that make you feel that the, 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 the people who should most want to listen to you just don't even care? And so he has to go and he has to speak in class and he has to act out. And it eventually, the lack of empathy from everyone that's around him, gnashes uh, teeth with the racist lady's breast. What, what did the racist lady have to do with anything? Nope. Right. You know, got, got in her face. You know, jaw left hurting, drop wide open. Just like the day I heard and then boom, literally. You know, and it's, yeah. it really is a song about, about listening about, you know, we obviously mentioned mental health, gun control. Those are the obvious ones, but the less obvious ones are what you and Joe talked about empathy, listening, and not being so combative and selfish with our ideas yeah. or, 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 or our, our living spaces or our, um, just recognize that, and this is going to sound weird, but recognize that you're not special. And by that, I mean, you aren't the world isn't unto you you aren't the only thing right you are one of many 
And the way that people can grow and get better is by working together. There's, you know, I don't know why I'm referencing this, but because it's, it, can be referenced without referencing this, but like think about Kingpin when they raise that barn, right? <laughs> There's like 40 guys that have to raise the wall because otherwise you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Right. So it's this, it's, it's a similar thing. We need to work together to find ways to move ourselves forward. And if we're, if we're isolating ourselves, especially for isolating the ones that we loved, the, the children that we sired, you know, how does that make those kids feel? You're putting everybody on islands and you put somebody on an island, what happens? They go a little crazy and there's no one to listen to them. There's no one to talk to and they make rash, crazy decisions. Uh, and I, I don't use the word crazy lightly. You just, that kind of came to my mind. So I apologize if it, if it hit anybody, but, and this is what we get. What we get is Jeremy in, in, in the last two minutes of the song, which we decided we preferred the uh, Rick Parashar version better, but like the way that, oh. that whole song builds out at the end that was the speaking in class. And I, I think that's what we want to avoid. Uh, and that's what I think Joe would want to avoid. Um, so it's really a shame that we, it, it feels like we haven't grown in any way, shape or form. And I don't know if the, the technological advances have made that worse. If that's just a red yeah, hearing, I don't know. That's, I mean, it's, it, it, it's it's such a small piece of such a massively larger no i know conversation i'm, I'm, I'm trying to with, think of like huge easy societal easy implication yeah, yeah. And, i mean and really it's it, it's we're talking about trying to articulate a part of human nature here and right. it's uh i mean it, it's a conversation that spans epochs you know what i'm saying and, and you know before in in the 90s people were blaming rap music rock music video games and they're still they're still vilifying video games and movies and it's like yeah you know, maybe if you just listen to your kids a little bit more, give them a little more attention. Maybe if you yeah. just try and talk to them and figure out who they are, as opposed to just sitting in front of the TV and ignoring them all day. Maybe that. Well, could... now more than ever, I mean, there, there, there runs that risk of, of, you know, parents just sticking a device in, in the hands yeah. of children. And, and, you know, with, with all these educational apps, it, it's, it's suddenly become a lot easier to justify. Mm hmm to those around you, why you're doing it. But at the end of the day, you're, you're doing it at the expense of bonding, connecting, and as we mentioned, listening and empathizing with your child. And so it's, I, I understand there's always a time and a place, but uh, if, if you can, if you can keep that thing in the bag and, and focus a little bit more on making connections and, and, and being empathetic and listening, I think it'll pay off in dividends more. Set the example now. Yeah, and exactly. and when they get older and they're able to express things that are much more um fleshed out or or serious or um you're able to affect them in a better way because you've established the connection whereas if yeah. it's been separated for 12 years and they're a teenager and they don't know how to talk to you or they don't think they can talk to you you've already lost the battle so yeah. i guess well, starting- i just you know thank you everyone listening yeah. at home to Paul and Jason's Ted talk on raising teenagers that we don't yet have. But. How did that happen? <laughs> I don't well, know. It's, it's kind of what it became. Oh God. I don't, I'm not trying to raise your kids, kids, mm. raise your kids, kids, raise your kids, guys. Um, but anyway, Jeremy is, uh, you know, a lot of people will think about this song and think, ah, man, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I heard the song too many times. 
Yeah, you may have heard it a million times, but you know what? It, it's a it's a very strong story that I we still wish was not applicable, but it is, and there are lessons to be learned. So, I think with that, we'll put a pin in it for this time around and uh, get to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up. Live cut of the week. Obviously, we've got to go to the early nineties. Yeah, Paul, where are we going for Jeremy's best cut? Well, fortunately for everybody listening, much like with the song, Jeremy, there is uh, there's something about a, a visual component that really seems to to capture the essence of this track. And uh, I, I've always felt that there are, there are two versions of it that that really truly shine. Um, one of them is is from the '94 tour, uh, Atlanta, April third. Uh, but if, if we really want to hone in on, on a version that I think really f- seems to, to, to somehow encapsulate the true essence of this track, we got to go to Pink Pop 92. You, you, can, you can see it online um, and, and you, you will see the same just visually arresting at- intensity that made the video such an indelible, unforgettable experience. You see the the, the raw energy, the, the raw aggression and angst very present in Eddie uh, during this particular performance. And I think that further informs the delivery vocally and musically. It's an epic performance. It's one of their, their best all-time shows. And uh, for me, no surprise, this particular version comes comes from it. All right, let's go to Longruff, Netherlands, June 8th. 
Paul, I listened to this. Actually, I should say I watched this earlier today to kind of get myself in the mood. And uh, of course, any most of you probably already watched this on YouTube. Uh, and if you haven't, you should. And it's just a wonderful performance because similarly to, let's say, Drop in the Park or the more theater, hell, most of the uh, the videos available from the time, there's just something about how, and I think after the song became a thing, um, it kind of maybe changed and, and got elevated to a different way. This is before that. This is June, before the video came out in 92. And there's there's an intensity to the performance. I mean, Mike is just twirling and twirling and twirling. I thought I was going to knock into his speakers at a certain point in, in the outro there. There's a certain intensity that it's almost like Ed knew how powerful the song was, but nobody else really did yet because the song hadn't really popped right. until another a month or so later. So if you want to see the power of a song before everyone really knew the power of that song, this is that performance. And Ed says earlier in the, in the set that they had, they've never played for an audience this big before. So there was an extra level of we've got to show what we got here with this yeah. behind it. So they brought it, man. Absolutely. So uh, excellent choice. Excellent choice. Uh, and if you want to bookend it, I would say then go to Drop in the Park about four months later. Uh, in seattle and you'll get a lovely extra taste of what that was like um so there you go guys that's the uh, the jeremy episode we hope you're enjoying the month of 10 uh next week we will dive into oh yes we of course we have to do it alive and um you know we would appreciate it if uh between now and then you would go on to your platform of choice and give us a review rate the show and subscribe to the channel if you have not along with our social media channels of course um, continue to, to conversate with us. We love it on Facebook, on Instagram, all that good stuff. So, did you until just say we, conversate? That's right. I, I, I like it. the word conversate. I don't care if it's not a real word or not. <laughs> I'm going conversate. <laughs> like, oh, like, like orient versus orientate. Yeah, a little levity to end the show. I love it. You have to. <laughs> well, until we uh, talk to you next week about the song Alive, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.